Well, we're uh, we're asking a question this morning. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And you remember last week in the in the passage that we're dealing in Mark ten. That's what Jesus actually asked James and John because they wanted something. So he says, uh, "What do you want me to to do for you?" And in this week's passage, it's really interesting. Guess what Jesus asked again? What do you want me to do for you? And so it's interesting as you go verse by verse and you go expository. Unless you're going expository, you're not going to catch this. When you do expository, you are extended off of where you were last at and you see how God is building this story. And so when we take a look from what that was to what this is, we're going to see a similarity, but yet there's a major difference between James and John and this story about uh, this blind man, uh, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus knows he's blind. He can't see. Needed sight. The disciples have physical eyes. They can see with their physical eyes, but yet they really didn't see. They didn't see spiritually, did they? They had trouble seeing the things that Christ wanted them to see. So that's what we have been doing for weeks and weeks and weeks, building on this, that they need to open their eyes and see. So these two accounts are connected in that way. So if we look in verse 37, we see in in Mark 10, we see that James and John's question was really a request for selfish glory. Uh, look at it here. It says, They said to him, after he asked a question, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. That's what they want, right? So, um, not a bad question, but you, you look at their motive and what's behind this, and you go, oh, maybe they shouldn't have said that. Um, Bartimaeus is asked that question. And his was really a response of dealing with mercy. Because he knew he needed mercy. He, he had been crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy. James and John are motivated by pride, the selfish glory that they have. And we look at this blind man, and it's really something like brokenness. He realizes that he can't see. He wants to see. So you have an attitude of James and John where they have the right to things. And they're worthy of it. And uh, of course, if you ask somebody now who's been watching that uh, the Friday night videos, you ask them how they're doing. And uh, of course, you might get a response. And I got it from Rebecca just a few minutes ago. Better than I deserve. <laughs> He, he knew that he didn't deserve this, but his, his attitude was totally opposite of what the disciples' attitude was who had been following Jesus for three years. How did they miss it? Now, had Jesus ever healed a blind man before? Simple, isn't it? Of course. Many times He's healed a blind man. And we've read, in, like in Mark 8 earlier, uh, where Jesus uses it as a good lesson. He takes those uh, miracles, turns them into a message, a powerful message. Uh, in John 8, he calls himself the light of the world. The light of the world. 
John 9, then as a blind man who was born blind from birth. And remember the Friday night thing? But in John 9. And Jesus gave an opportunity then to show that he really is the light, didn't he? And this man was born blind for the reason, for that very moment, that glory would be given to God and people would see that and he would show that he is the light of the world. So John 8, John 9 connected there, didn't they? The blind man. He uses blindness physically to illustrate the spiritual blindness that the disciples had and and others. Jesus had rebuked them uh, way back there in Mark 8, leading into where he actually healed a blind man from Bethsaida. You remember that? And he'd asked them some questions like, do you not see or understand? Do you not perceive? Having eyes, do you not see? So there's the eyes. But seeing, they did not. But yet they could see. But they couldn't see. So that's when the story of Bethsaida came into play after he had asked those questions because they were talking about the, the bread. Oh, we need the bread. They were in the boat. You remember that? And they're talking physical things. And Jesus is talking about bread of life. He's talking spiritual things that they need to be really concentrating on their concern about some physical thing. He's trying to get to their thinking to replace the old way of thinking into what kingdom thinking is about. And so, tries to get them out of the physical level into the condition of where they were at and what the kingdom is all about. So it, it showed that it really showed about the disciples what their condition was. Blindness is illustrating how followers need spiritual sight. Right? Be praying always that the Lord would open your eyes more and more to what He's saying. So this is illustrating, I think, a great truth for us, uh, for us, not only disciples. Right? Um, this healing of Bartimaeus. And uh, the illustration of, uh, oh, let's say, verse 31, for instance, of chapter 10, says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We've covered that before, haven't we? Jesus keeps saying that. It sounds so opposite of the way that it ought to be. No, you're to trample all over people, especially in the business realm, to get up to the top of the ladder. And Jesus always says something that is extremely opposite. He's saying, you want to be great? Here's what you do. Get low as a servant. Be a slave. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, So, whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. You really want to be a slave now so you can see how exalted that the Christ is and then also lifts us up to be with Him. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for the many. Did we leave off with that last week? With that thought? We did, didn't we? That was a theme. Well, listen, why don't we all stand... Let's uh, turn our Bibles, if they're not there already, to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. Let's see what the Lord has here as He's written this. 
Then they came to Jericho. <clears throat> and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard it that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up, came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. We pray for your Holy Spirit to give us keen insight into what you're speaking here today. In your Son's name, Amen. You can be seated. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Well, we start out in verse 46. We start off with the pitiful condition. The pitiful condition that this man is in. Uh, they happened to be in Jericho, and they came to Jericho. They're coming to Jerusalem. They've been up north in Galilee, and they've been heading on the other side of uh, the Jordan River. They're in Perea. Now they've made their way to Jericho. Jericho is getting really close to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is known as the city of palms. I want you to catch this. Let's kind of um, kind of get a, a sight of this, that we're in this band of disciples or the followers, the many in the crowd, whatever. Just kind of put yourself into that place. Realize where you're at and where you're going. You've already heard that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. You already know in Jerusalem are the ones who want to kill Him. You already know all this. And so you're, you're going along with Him. You're in this place that's a beautiful place. You're about six hours away by walking. Walking up. Steeply walking up. I think if you go through the state of Kansas, and we have one person here, I think that's from the state of Kansas, so I'm not going to say anything negative about that state. But all I know, it's a long drive from Missouri all the way into Colorado. It's a long drive. We're not talking walking. We're talking driving. Uh, what are we getting at? Altitude. You're climbing altitude all along. You don't even realize it. And by the time you get to Denver, you are at a mile high. 5,280 feet? 60 feet. 60 feet, right. Oh, man. Going back to sixth grade there. <laughs> that was only about... Uh, 15 years ago. Something like that. Well, math isn't too good. You guys notice that, right? <laughs> well, this this place, okay, it's well known. It's well known in New Testament times. It is well known in Old Testament times because if you really think way back, there was a city called Jericho that had a wall around it. Do you remember that? This is the same area. Although it had been kind of rebuilt and put in a little bit different area, it's really close to there. There was the old Jericho and there was new Jericho. And you've heard of places like that. Yeah. New and then old. So that, that's where we're at. Um, you really are in a desert. 
But there are a lot of springs around this place. A lot of them. And they just pipe in the water to Jericho. So you have all of these beautiful palm trees. You have all sorts of trees growing around. And they're irrigating this place. matter of fact, it, it, it was really like a garden. A beautiful garden. The weather's just perfect all year round. And so, a large population. A lot of people live here. I would like to live there. You know, and, and uh, you know, it can be snowing in Jerusalem like 15 to 18 miles away. And there in Jericho, the sun is brightly shining and you're out there getting a tan. You know, so, and just a short distance. I mean, it's like from here to Ashland. You know? Only a steep incline. So, that's, that's the kind of setting that we have. Fruit trees all around. This, this is beautiful. It's just a beautiful place. There's a balsam bush there, and it supplied this uh, juice that was used as a medicine, and it was found only there. So it's kind of a cool place to be. And so there they are in, in Jericho. They said that linen clothes were worn even when there was snow in Jerusalem. That's really, you know, not much covering. I mean... It was just really nice. Really nice. And so that's where they're at. Jesus didn't come there to take a hiatus and take a few weeks off and relax. He's going through there. He might have stayed a little bit. Maybe uh, Zacchaeus, somebody like that. Some, But, by the way, you have figs there. You heard a lot of figs, right? A lot of figs grew there. Uh, the reason I bring that up because later on in Jerusalem on the Passion Week there was a tree that wasn't growing. didn't have any fruit on it. didn't have the fig on it. Well, the figs were ripening already in Jericho. Does that give you a little background there? Does that kind of help? It's kind of cool. Almonds? You might be allergic to almonds. Some of you really might like almond joys and such. Well, that's a great place for almonds right there. I mean, they had everything, you know. Uh, rose plants. Beautiful. So it's a real garden. Mark Antony, the Roman uh, emperor, uh, is given by Mark Antony to uh, uh, Cleopatra, believe it or not. According to Josephus. Josephus was a historian back at that time. So I would uh, say that's something that we can trust. Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian. So when you go back and get a little bit of history of that, it gives you, okay, a little bit of, of life to it. Hey, uh, this, is, this is a place I wouldn't mind visiting. Herod had built a fort uh, there, a palace, and that's where he, he finally died. So, you know, it's a magnificent place, place for kings, I guess. So here we are, 15 miles away from Jerusalem, getting ready to go there. The Passover feast is going to be happening in a few days. A lot of people are getting ready. People come from all over to go to the Passover. And I think there was a law that they had written in that if you were within, I'm not sure what the distance is, at least 20 miles away. with, If you were in that, you were required to go to this feast, the Passover. And so, I mean, you're having literally thousands and thousands of people going to Jerusalem. And a lot of them start early, get there a little early. They have relatives there. You make a week out of it. You make it a nice week-long event. And that's really what feasts were were meant for. They want to make it a little bit longer than that. So some of them start a little bit early, make sure that uh, they get to see some of the people that they uh, they want to see. Jesus is a rabbi, right? There he is. He's walking through this city, big city. Crowds of people all around. 
There's a throng of people following him. And it's starting to build up. You remember the uh, uh, what what you have next? Actually, if you look in your scripture, is the triumphal entry. That's how close we are, folks, to the Passion Week. The triumphal entry approaching Jerusalem. He has people with him. A lot of these people have been picked up kind of along the way and they just start joining the crowd. They've already been there and picks up some more at Jericho. He's going to pick up another individual here who had been blind. And he's going to come along too. Something big happening in Jerusalem. Big feast. I would say the atmosphere is absolutely electric. You ever been in an electric atmosphere where things are just clicking? People are excited. Things are happening. The streets are lined with a large crowd. A lot of people have heard that Jesus is coming there, this rabbi, and some of them are really curious. They want to see what he's, what he's about. They've heard about miracles. So many travelers heading there. Some of them are going to be coming a little bit later. I want to tell you something else. I think it's really interesting. You want to hear something interesting? Nobody does? Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> well, we can move on. I have to stop right here because everything here in Scripture is really interesting, isn't it? They had priests at the temple, right? You want to know how many priests there were at that time? 20,000. Actually, more than 20,000 priests. How are you going to have 20,000 priests ministering there daily? Well, they divided them up in 26 courses. And so you, they would take turns. So it would be this course that would carry it, and then another one, and another one. But when you have thousands of people going to the great feast to go and bring your lamb to sacrifice, this perfect spotless sacrifice that at least 12 to 20 people are going to be gathering together and having a great time, having that great Passover. They're, they're all gathering and doing that. You're going to have to have a lot of priests to sacrifice these lambs, aren't you? And they have to do it within a certain time. And people say, well, it's just not possible that they could have done that with almost two million people coming to that city. How could they get those many lambs? Well, there actually was, and I'm not going to go into detail, but there was a Passover that the Galileans would do on a Thursday, like for instance, uh, or, or like a Wednesday and then, then a Thursday, a Wednesday night and a Thursday night, You know, according to that Passion Week, the way it was set up. Uh, Jesus and disciples celebrated a Passover before he was the Passover lamb. The next day, they had the Passover. And Jesus, when He died, died at the very time that they were killing the lamb. You remember that? But He had already uh, done that before. And that was okay because the Galileans had done that the day before. So goes history and the culture. And, and so that's how it's laid out. That's how cool it just kind of works out both ways. He is the lamb. The lamb is going there. He's perfectly spotless. He is the sacrifice as He's marching. Well... The 20,000 priests and Levites, you know what? They're all going to be needed there in some manner, some way, to help sacrifice all these lambs. There are a lot of priests, this is what I just found out this week, a lot of priests just kind of hung out and lived in Jericho. Why not? It's pretty close to Jerusalem. It's a six-hour walk. You can get there in one day, still live in a nice place. Sounds good enough, right? When it's my time to serve, I'll be there. And uh, so they had that set up pretty good. So when you have priests living there, I'm sure they're going to turn out in this crowd too, right? Priests are part of the establishment. We know later that some priest came to Christ after Pentecost. You remember that? In the book of Acts, you'll see that. Priest 
priest. That was their livelihood. Jesus is saying, this is no longer needed. We don't need the temple and the lambs anymore. It was insignificant because He was the Lamb. It was done. It was fulfilled. And so some of them came to Christ. Well, here are these guys knowing that He is against the establishment. And uh, they're checking this out. You know, they, they don't like this man. Oh, there he is, huh? Huh. Look at the crowd he's got. Sure like to get to him. I'd like to ask some questions of him. Uh, maybe they'd like to stump him, right? So, you got these guys getting ready. They're going to be going to Jerusalem. Some of them are on the way now. Maybe some of them are going to wait for another couple of days or so, but they're out there mingling with the crowds, probably. And uh, in this story, there's a couple of seemingly, and I say that with quotes, discrepancies. When you have the Gospels, you can either say there are errors in Scripture, or you can say the guys who wrote this are not in collusion. They're writing something different, something they saw or something they think important, and the other guy doesn't necessarily include it, or he includes something different. And that's exactly what we see again. Uh, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, do you catch that? Leaving Jericho. Luke's Gospel, and if you wanted to look there, you can. You can look there. (laughs) The, The healing of blind Bartimaeus took place there as the Lord was entering the city. And so if you're very careful, and you go up to somebody and say, I knew the Bible had some problems. See, there's an error. No. Won't you read and look at it and then know what it was before you start condemning it? People are looking for errors. And all it does is it just makes a fool out of them when they try to look for errors and find out what the story is. There's an old Jericho. I just mentioned it earlier, right? The old walled city. The, you know, remember what happened to those walls, don't you? <laughs> But anyway, they you know they build tells. There are tells. Uh, you know they build upon a city and then build and build and build upon it. Well, uh, they can go over there today and they can see some things that was of the old city Jericho. But I think north of there, then you have another new Jericho that had been built. It's basically in the same area. So they go out of one city limits and go into another. So they're leaving Jericho, but yet they're entering Jericho. Does that help? I've been in Kansas City before, and it is absolutely confusing. You're driving along, and especially if you're on the outskirts of Kansas City, maybe kind of on the eastern side, entering Kansas City. And then you drive a few blocks, and it says, leaving Kansas City. Okay, I guess we're out of here, huh? We're lost. And then you go down a few more blocks, entering Kansas City. <laughs> Do you see what's happening there? Kind of going in and out. And that's, that's what's happening here. You say, huh, I, 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 never, I never knew that. Doesn't that help, though? So if somebody questions you about that, in case they happen to be reading all the Gospels, say, I'm looking for an error, so I'm going to read all of these. And it is good to read all the Gospels. We don't have to work hard at defending the Bible. Matter of fact, we don't have to defend it. You know what you do? You just open it up and let it be unleashed. Because the Word of God comes roaring with truth. Yeah. So, hey, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to know. Uh, another thing to know is about the beggars. 
that was not unusual at that time. Many people were blind. We know that as a common occurrence. It's a well-known site. In Jericho, why not? A lot of people there. Get in the right place. You know, Go there to where uh, people can see you that you can't see. Now, um, there's another um, little thing that's kind of problematic, but it's not. And so, what's that? Well, there's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. How many? How many did we see in this story in Mark? We see one. Somebody who's really checking this out, and he should be. I think if you go to Matthew 20, verse 30, well, we can turn there if we like. This is another parallel account. Same story. Not a different time. It's, you know, he's getting ready for that triumphal entry. That's the context. That's the way Matthew sets it up like Mark does. Uh, verse 29, they were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out. Both of them are crying out. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Same question. They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You don't get the name Bartimaeus here, but you get two blind beggars. Now, it could be that Jesus heals Bartimaeus and goes down the road and then heals a couple more guys. But really, this is the same story. Well, what do you do with that? Do you see any problem? One of them sticks out. His name is Bartimaeus. This happens before. This has happened before when uh, uh, when there was the man in, in the... the the graveyards, the caves. And he was a crazy man. Matter of fact, they bound him in chains and he would just rip them apart. You remember that? But if you look at another gospel account, there's two of those guys. But one of them is really brought forth. And there's nothing wrong in that. To, to Mark, he wants to emphasize this Bartimaeus. Matthew wants to emphasize the, these two guys that, and doesn't really name them. And, you know, in miracles, have you ever noticed that names are not named? But they, it is here. Have you ever noticed that? You think, well, how come they don't get their names in there? Well, God didn't necessarily think it needed to be. But in this case, Bartimaeus is. Kind of interesting. Okay, um... There's two of them. We're going to be emphasizing the one this morning. So we have that cleared out in case anybody ever challenges you on that. Now you know. Those two discrepancies, I think, have been healed up, haven't they? Okay. The son of Timaeus. His name is Bar Timaeus. And in the Aramaic, you have Bar, which is son. Timaeus. Yeah, you can imagine, uh, uh, hey, how about, does that sound like Timothy? You know? Bar, son of Timaeus. Son of uh, Timothy. Not the same Timothy. I don't know. But, um, he, he's the son of him. So when you see that name Bar, Barabbas, you know that name. There's the son of Rabbis. 
a lot of times. As a matter of fact, I think there's one in the Bible that's called Bar-Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a popular name at that time. Uh, Yeshua. Yahashua. Joshua. Josh. Josh is a real popular name today, isn't it? So, uh, but there was a, so Jesus didn't have any sons. I'm definitely not putting that forth, but this, there was this one, Bar Jesus. Bar Jonah. What have you. Different, different names. Um, but here we, here we go. Uh, this Bar Timaeus, or Bartimaeus, was probably known in the early church. That's probably why the name is given here. Mark, remember, had a lot to do with getting the story from Peter. Mark had followed them around a lot. He's not an apostle, but he sure knows a lot of things from Peter and from the Holy Spirit as he's inspired to write this. And uh, so as you think on this, I think it, it helps helps to uh, to realize that uh, Mark is getting the story. And um, he gets some really good details. should help us. An insight to, to who this man is if he's involved with the early church. Matter of fact, some would even go to say that he was a stalwart of the early church. He probably was one of the 120 that was in that meeting when Pentecost happened in Acts 2. Don't know that for sure, but very likely. He goes with Jesus all the way up to Jerusalem, and so he experiences this whole death, burial, resurrection thing. He's one of those guys. Bartimaeus knows his condition. How could he not, right? Knows his condition. He understood himself. He knew his place. He was considered about to be the lowest of all. And because if you're born blind, according to what we learned Friday night, what's the deal there? It means that you must be a sinner. John 9 indicates that that's even what the disciples thought. Does this mean that his parents sinned or he sinned? Must be. They didn't know the book of Job, did they? Right? There again, blows away that health, wealth, gospel. And if you're not blessed, then it's because you, you've done some kind of sin. You haven't done something. Haven't had enough faith or something. God's in control here. What Bartimaeus does is that he sees an opportunity. The opportunity of his lifetime. The greatest opportunity that could ever be. Nothing matches this opportunity. And I want you to remember, he knows his place, and everybody else does too. Blind men, you can beg. There's a certain place you can be. But just be cool about it. Don't embarrass our beautiful Palm City. A lot of rich people there. Maybe sometimes they would throw in a coin or two. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, and it is kind of loud there. He got a lot of crowds. Imagine a fair, some big gathering. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Okay, let's get personal. Bartimaeus. He's real. This is not a parable. This is a real story. Woke up that morning. It's like he woke up every morning. He woke up blind that morning, and all the previous mornings that he woke up, he was blind. That's the way that he lived. That was part of his life. He'd find his spot along the road. Probably somebody would kind of help him get there in some way. He would beg as always. And this day, his life will never be the same. He is changed forever. When you became a Christian, your life is never the same as it was before. Your life from here on out is going to be different. Although he is blind, I do want to tell you, blind people can hear. And I don't know, I have to confess, but whenever I've talked with blind people, I have tended to raise my voice up. And, you know, it's like, you know, they can't hear. The thing is, they can hear better than I can. But for some reason, I'm trying to get it across to them, you know, and then I, I see myself doing this kind of thing that I always do, and I'm realizing they can't see what I'm doing. They might be able to feel it, you know, or hear some kind of movements going on. But this man hears very well. He hears that Jesus is there. He's, he's hearing some things. Listen to some things. The trampling feet, the buzz of the crowd, something's different. He's saying, what's, what's going on? What's happening? This is probably way on down the street. And he's, he's hearing this. And somebody tells him, oh, that's, that's the one who uh, does the miracles. He's saying, oh, you're talking about Jesus? It's the opportunity. He's going to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Jesus is not going to pass this way again. This is the last time. I mean, he's not going through Jericho anymore. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to die. Son of David. Son of David. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. There is a lot of that. You know what? We could do a message on this. Jesus. Yeshua. Yahshua. What does it mean? Save. It's dealing with salvation, isn't it? Son of David. From the Messianic line. He's from that kingly line. Uh, there's going to be somebody from that line of David who's going to be that anointed one. Messiah means anointed. That very one that God talks about so much in the Old Testament and He calls Him Son of David. That in itself is incredible that He would call Him that. Not just Jesus, Son of David. He's the Messiah. He's, an, he's the one from that kingly line. And He says for Him to have mercy on me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve... Have mercy on me. I don't deserve it, but I know I need mercy. That's what God wants us to do. So, this is what He's doing. And by the way, that word cry out, I think it's really uh, interesting to note what that means. It means to shout at the very top of your lungs. The word is karadzo. Karadzo means to scream. And I could do that right now. 
but I'm afraid some of the ceiling tiles might come out. <laughs> That's a pretty outfit. I think it's that color that the tiles came out on. It says, Julia, watch out. Bob, you guys. You too. Uh oh, what? You, oh, I, oh, you're making fun of that there. Oh, yeah. Those are loud colors. <laughs> loud colors. There we go. <laughs> That's what we were aiming for. Well, he began to scream. He didn't stop. He just kept screaming. And that's the tense that you have there. And I mean at the top of his lungs. And this is the kind of thing that some insane person would do. You know, just out of nowhere. Have you ever been somewhere when somebody all of a sudden, you know, the crowd or people are talking and they're talking quiet and out of somewhere somebody, some guy that you don't even know and he looks like a drunkard or whatever and he just starts barking out loud last night at that play before it started there was a guy doing or, no it was in the play I think and he started you know you know talking that was meant to be it was part of that you know um, but have you ever been interrupted by somebody and it's really annoying very annoying I mean it's loud it's crude He's crying out. And the thing is, people are hearing him over the noise of the crowd. He might have been blind, but I'll tell you what, he sure was not deaf and dumb. You know, this guy could talk. He could speak. He could yell. This is something a demon-possessed person would be doing. All right. This is where the people come in. That's enough. He's heard over the noise of the people, all the talk of the people, and he's shouting, Jesus, Jehovah saves, God saves. That's the idea of Jesus. Son of David, I want to tell you, this is an embarrassing thing to a lot of people. It's embarrassing to Jericho. This man is carrying on like this, and we have somebody coming in, uh, a rabbi at that. Some people did... uh, like the and I have to wonder if the disciples are saying, "Would you sh- shut up? Be quiet! Can you? You know, the disciples have done that before with the with the little kids, you know. And here's this blind man. Don't you know your spot? Well, it says that in verse 28. Many were sternly telling him. They weren't just saying, "Hey, let's pipe down a little bit. Can you be quiet? No, I'm sure that they were yelling at him, probably shaking him or whatever it took. Would you, you shut up? Be quiet! And what did he do? Hey, I got somebody really stirred up now. I'm yelling, so be careful. He kept crying out all the more. Now, you know, you're you're causing a stir here. People are going to see... You know, I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't like to embarrass myself. And sometimes my voice has gotten louder than it should in a crowd. Oh, they're doing that. You know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, my mouth is shut. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been speaking there. Well... He's not that way. He doesn't care. Because this is his his only shot. He's probably not going to see him again as far as he's concerned. And so here we go. He's been informed about Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'm going to go to him. I want to get his attention and I, I need mercy. I have to have mercy. 
And here's where we get into uh, to prayer. Earnest prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is, I mean, a determined, earnest prayer that he had. He cried out. People try to silence him. He has no hope. Only Jesus is his hope. He has no hope to be right before God. And that's the way it was taught in Israel. Those sinners. He's a sinner. He has no hope. That's drilled into his head. So, I don't care what they say. I don't care what man thinks of me. I want Jesus to hear my prayer. Have mercy. That's the cry of afflicted people. Pity me. Take on pity. Because look at me. I'm a wretch. There's nothing good in me. Isn't that what the Bible tells us spiritually? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They realize they have nothing to offer. That's a blessing to realize that you're nothing before God and then you can cry out for the mercy. Man, he knew the theology of the people. He knew the cursing that they had said on the blind. He knows he's a sinner. His blindness really aids him in facing that. That's incredible. A lot of people, most people, can't ever get to that point. That's why most people don't become Christians. Because they elevate themselves much higher. They cannot get to the point where they say, I need a Savior. That's the good news that we are to bring to them. They must be seen that they are evil before God. They can't enter His righteousness unless they first see that they need a doctor. Right? Jesus has already said that. Passionate persistence. The outcast. Kept crying. I keep saying that, but can you... Jesus probably let it go for a while. Just to show people that sometimes the Spirit of God is drawing but He will allow some time to go through and people will continue to do it and He'll show that they're really real. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence Violent men take it by force. A lot of different thoughts on that. And some of them just kind of complement each other. But here's a sense where somebody really wants to get into the kingdom and they're outside it and they know it and people say that they can't get in. Well, he is doing it violently. The best way that he knows how as he cries out as much as he possibly can. God is drawing him. The Spirit of God is drawing him to do that. Look in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They know. They're hungry. They're starving. They know they are. Starving for something that's much 
more important than any food. He's not ashamed. Doesn't matter. This is the most important time of his life. A blind man, a child, somebody who's not significant. Mark ten fifteen. Jesus has said, "Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child." will not enter in it at all. He must see that he's desperate. He must see that he is totally dependent upon him. By the way, this is the day. Have you ever heard that? Do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Do you know that's the call? That's the call to everybody? And if one desires to call upon the Lord, I guarantee you biblically, he will stop and listen to that prayer. He always does that. Sometimes his drawing might be days, months. Sometimes it can be years as a person isn't willing to, to even maybe give up everything. He's checking it out. He's examining it. But the Lord is drawing him like in John six forty four. That's really what has been happening. And I'm sure that this time was reserved for this man. This was a divine appointment for this blind man for this particular time. And this is the day of salvation. So if someone thinks they're being called by the Lord, he says, answer, answer, or or go now. The, The Father will listen. No one can come to me. No one will want to be saved unless the Father who sent me draws him, really brings him forth. The word is dealing with uh, a forcefulness. He does it gently, but yet he brings them to him because they're his. And I will raise him up on the last day. He'll all be taught of God. Uh, So, nobody wants to go to Jesus unless they have that call. And He regenerates them. Brings life to them so now that they have faith in Him, they trust in Him, that faith is granted, repentance is granted. We see this all happening right here with this man who's calling out to the Son of David. Now we get the call of Jesus here in verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call Him here. It's not like He starts yelling down the street at this man and he just says, hey, okay, bring him here, call him here. They called the blind man saying to him, take courage, (laughs) stand up, he's calling you. He's calling for you. Throwing his cloak away, jumped up, came to Jesus. Now, can't say, I'm sure he gets a little help and I think in one of the other gospel accounts it uh, does show that they bring him to him here. It looks like he just jumps up on his own starts running to him. It's kind of both. You know, he, he doesn't care who he runs into, whatever's happening. He's going to get to Jesus. <laughs> and I'm sure he knows, you know, as far as his ears are concerned, but there, there are people there. Uh, and they tell him, uh, they bring him there. Uh, I want you to concentrate, though. Yeah, this is Bartimaeus, but really the story is about Christ. Right? This is all about Christ. It's never on the individual. But it's neat where God puts the individual. When you first seek the kingdom of God, then all these things are added to you. When you have the right position and place where your eyes and and, uh, your hearts to be, 
then things start falling into place the way they should be. So, this is the compassion of Jesus. Jesus stopped. He has sternly set His face like flint. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die. And raise. That's what's going to happen. He's going to do it. It's time to go. It's, uh, come on. No, He stops. He just stopped. Huge crowd around. Hey, listen, He's probably saying, if I do this miracle here, then I'm going to have to have other guys. Um, don't have time. i got to go. You know, I've got a triumphal entry to meet, and there's a timing that is supposed to be perfect as I go into the city of Jerusalem. He stops. He says, don't silence here. You know, um, bring him to me. Bring him here. Disciples are going, oh, here we go again. The great work that he's done. The whole universe of the people who are going to be saved. It's going to be done at the cross. That's the most important work that can be done. And he takes time to stop along the roadside on the way to the cross for the blind beggar. You know, he was not too busy for this man, Bartimaeus, was he? And of course, we kind of looked at the call John 6.44, John 6.37, He who uh, comes to me, I will no wise cast out. And we go to the fourth part, verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. When one is called, and they're, uh, they're really convicted to come to Christ, uh, they answer, Today, 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 call upon Him. I'm calling upon you. Now you call upon me. And he hurriedly came to Christ. I don't think he wasted a split second. He was off and running. Whatever it took. And we go to part five. Here's the question that Jesus asked. There's a blind man coming there and you go, what? Jesus is God? What is he? Why does he even ask a question? Why does he go like that? And he has vision. Matter of fact, he didn't have to come there. He could have just, oh, Bartimaeus. And all of a sudden, Bartimaeus just leaps up and, you know. Now, Jesus asked a question. What do you want me to do for you? There's our title. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want? What do you want? That's so connected with what we heard last week. Remember the James and John disciples. We want to be on the right and the left hand of the glory. We want all the glory. We want all the comfort. Even right now, let's bring this kingdom on. We want to be in a position where everybody serves us. Everything goes great. We want to be elevated. We want to be honored. Bartimaeus says, I just want to see. But he's already cried out, Son of David called out Jesus. He's cried out, have mercy on me. It's more than just the physical sight. Right now, he is consumed. I I want to regain my sight. Of course, there's nothing wrong with asking that. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. 
and we know the way that Jesus responds, it shows that He's going deeper than the, just the physical realm. He gets much deeper than where the disciples have been. Sometimes we as disciples who study God's Word and read God's Word every day and, and come here to worship and, and get together in fellowship with other Christians, and sometimes we take it for granted and we lose sight of really where the Lord wants us to be putting our attention to sight, sight, sight to the blind. We've been around Jesus for a long time maybe. And here's a guy who hadn't been, but he had more trust and faith than the disciples. What do you want? I want to regain my sight. Verse 52, Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. In Luke 18.42, He said, Receive your sight. He did. A lot of times Jesus would heal with a touch. Sometimes He would uh, put spittle and put mud on somebody's eyes and say, Hey, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And Sometimes there was one man that had the sight in Mark 8, but uh, he saw men walking as trees. That was to demonstrate that uh, our spiritual knowledge comes in blocks, uh, comes in different levels. And uh, this man all of a sudden just sees. No touching here. He just said to him, Go. Faith has made you well. Well, he trusted in Christ to be able to call him Son of David, to cry out like this, to say, Have mercy calling Jesus. I mean, everything that He's doing and to continue to do that and, and being an embarrassment to yourself, sticking out like a sore thumb. It's bad enough to be blind and hear this and Jesus then uh, gives Him that reward. Uh, and, and Mark here, this is the last miracle uh, before the resurrection. Resurrection, a great miracle, right? Supernatural. This is the last one that we see in Mark. Uh, you would think during the Passion Week we would see all sorts of miracles being done. But, um, we don't see that. He regains his sight. The word sozo is the word for saved. Sozo. Your faith has made you well. Sozo. Saved. Your faith has made you saved. Faith itself doesn't save you. What saves you is you're saved by grace through faith. That's the byproduct of it. What He has given you. What he's saying, because you're justified by faith. Because of your faith, he already had been regenerated to realize who he was and and to desire this. So there was a regeneration and the faith is there. His repentance is there. He regains his sight. The evidence of the healing is obvious. I mean, 20-20, instantaneously, boom, just like that. Evidence of salvation. I think this had to be a stunning experience. Not only in his mind, he never forgot it, but how about all the people that were there that knew this blind man? People that didn't know this blind man, they just heard about this, they've seen it. And Jesus is going to the triumphal entry. It says he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Began following him. He didn't bother to go home. Didn't. Pack up his 
belongings. He might have just owned one set of clothes. Some did, being poor, probably. There he is, following Jesus to the triumphal entry. Remember the palm branches? Everybody knows Hosanna, right? He's in that crowd and he's seeing. And 15 miles ago, he was absolutely blind with no hope. His only hope was the next day that he'd get up, go to the spot, get some more money where he could buy a piece of bread. <sighs> An outcast who's now on the inside. Matter of fact, Luke 18.43. If you want to look it up, I'll read it. He was following Him on the road, glorifying God. I guess. But I've heard of other men where you know that would come to Him and they'd get their healing and then one of them remained and maybe like nine of them left. No glorifying God. No thinking. Just He's become a worshiper. Matter of fact, submissively, he's obedient by worshiping him. And he had been hopeless before until Christ came. Christ came at that right time. Why didn't Christ come earlier and and do that? Well, I don't know. God has his plan, he has his timing, he does what he wants. I'm just thankful that he came to that man. He didn't have to. Because, see, the, the man knew that. I need mercy. He's hopeless. This is the picture of every sinner. This is the picture of us. Luke 18.43, it says, when all the people saw it, what did they do? They gave praise to God. What is going on in Jericho? The crowd has to be awed. People are praising Him. And we're closing this out. Take about a minute. What lessons can we learn? First of all, you look at Christ and you see compassion. He has compassion. He really does care. This man, who was the last, just became first. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. How about blindness? Someone once bluntly asked Helen Keller, blind, deaf, how could anybody ever get through it to her? And then finally, that wonderful story that we hear. And so she was asked, isn't it terrible to be blind? You know what she responded with? It's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Wow. She got it. There's a a desperate need here. Brokenness. He knows that. That's a fast track to Christ, to no true brokenness. And disciples had trouble perceiving, trouble seeing. Boy, so often we we miss. So often 
slow to learn what the Lord would have us see clearly. I wonder what the Lord has been trying to get to us to see lately, and we're missing it. What's going on? I'm so slow to learn. Have you ever felt like you were just so slow? I'm blind to see clearly. At least this man recognized and said, I need to open my eyes. Can you open my eyes, Christ, and see? Show me what I need to see. Oh, that our faith would make us whole. Right? Trusting in Him. Hear His voice. If we follow Him like Bartimaeus, we can enter into such a sweet communion with the triune God. Isn't that what you want? Sometimes we miss that. What happens? Well, we have our eyes on somewhere else. On something else. Things that bother us. Take your eyes off that. We're looking at things physically. We're looking at the way that I have always looked at. I'm tired of looking at that way. The disciples were saved, but they were looking at it the same way they had been looking before. Oh, communion with Him, His His cross, His resurrection, His triumph, His glory, His power. You know what? That's an eye-opener. Hope your eyes have been opened. As I studied this week, I wanted my eyes to be opened more that I could see what He's got for me and us. May God bless His Word into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. You are the light of the world, Jesus. And we want You to shine more and more upon us to see what You want for us as You ask, what can I do for You? In Jesus' name, Amen.